Welcome to Ecoactivist Journeys. Today we'll be talking about the topic of animal ethics and uh, veganism. I'm honoured to have a really exciting guest with me today, um, Dr. Claire Lindsay. She's a Deputy Director of the Oxford Centre of Animal Ethics and is actually also a St Andrews alumnus. She did her Master and PhD in Theology uh, at St Andrews. Uh, and in addition to being the Deputy Director of the Animal Ethics Centre at Oxford, she's also Director of the Annual Oxford Animal Ethics Summer School, Co-Editor of the Journal of Animal Ethics and Palgrave Macmillan Book Series on Animal Ethics. Um, Claire's published a lot on this topic here, so I'm really looking forward to our discussion and yeah, I'm really honoured to have um, her as a guest with me today um, for this interview. So, um, to start off, Claire, would you like to just define what animal ethics is for us and tell us a little bit more about what you and what you do in the Oxford um, Centre for Animal Ethics? Thank you, Emily. It's great to be here. Uh, really exciting to talk to you all. Um, so, animal ethics, um, I define as, and so ethics is the study of um, moral behaviour and attitudes, um, and I define that as uh, um, uh, moral attitudes towards animals. So, uh, we focus on um, how humans uh, relate to animals and uh, the dynamics of those relationships. Uh, for those of you who know a little bit about animals, which I'm guessing is at least part of the audience, animal ethics is a term which is broader than either animal rights or animal welfare. So animal welfare is more focused on improving conditions for animals, whereas animal rights is more focused on um, uh, an abolitionist response towards our relationship with animals. Um, I can talk a little bit more about that before. But uh, so animal ethics takes the view that uh, there is no one right theoretical solution to our relationship with animals. Rather, you need uh, different approaches in different situations, and it tries to avoid that dichotomy by um, focusing on the broader issue. So our centre is an interdisciplinary centre. Um, we have over 100 fellows. Um, around uh, the world, actually. Dr. Eleanor Burke and St. Andrews mm -hmm. is one of our fellows. And um, they're all writing and publishing and teaching on uh, different things in relation to animals. So you might talk about animal law or animals and sociology or animal history. Um, and what the centre does is bring those people together and help them in a range of different ways. We have a book series, we have a jazz series, so we publish a lot of work. We also have a summer school, which I run, or we do in normal non-COVID time. Um, and, uh, and then out of that comes books that we've written, like Ed called Vegetarianism and Veganism, or The Ethical Case Against Animal Experiments, uh, which we might end up talking about later. Um, yeah, it's my joy. I, I get to uh, wake up every day and do something that I hope makes a difference in the world. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little hesitant with the word activist because mm -hmm. I like to think of myself as an academic and um, while activism is wonderful, um, I firmly believe that I do have to change the world. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so it's about, I'm all about changing people's ideas mm -hmm. and I hope that eventually that will change their practice too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. No, I, I think about, I mean, for me personally, I guess, like, there's a lot of different ways. That's also, I guess, challenging with the term for activism, like, how you define it. But for me, it's really, like, very much in, like, the broadest sense of just 
people like speaking up about things they care I guess and uh, yeah. through that making a difference um, but yeah they, they are a lot of I guess also stories behind that in terms of how people see that um, um, and how that term is defined but yeah definitely um, yeah I'd really love to hear a little bit more about your personal story and how you actually dove into how did you come into this area because like it's such an exciting thing but it's also yeah I guess like there's always a, an awakening to, to the topic area. At least there was for me when I um, first became vegan just before I came to St. Andrews. So I'm in my fifth year of, so my last year of school really, um, I was kind of like exposed to the topic area through a documentary, I think back then it was um, um, the one, Cowspiracy. So it was more like the environmental side that I first like dove into this topic area and then that sort of then opened my eyes up to a whole load of things around animal ethics and um, health and like I think like me realizing and diving into this world of veganism really personally had a big shift in like how I view the world um, so yeah I, it's quite exciting because like for me like yeah I guess it's my fifth year but I feel like I've been vegan for like my entire life just because um, it's become like I guess a lot of terms of like the values and how I see the world they have shifted and changed with like discovering new things so yeah I wanted to ask you a little bit to maybe share a little bit more about your story and how you got into this topic area. Sure uh, with pleasure and um, sometimes it's a little disappointing to say but I didn't really have that moral awakening moment I write about it and I sure would really like to have it and I think a lot about how that moment comes or how you elicit mm -hmm. that how you create moral change but for me um, I was really raised in the animal movement. Um, yeah, my dad, um, Andrew Lindsay, who I also work with, he's the director of our centre, he uh, coined the field of animal theology. And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's quite a large subject now, studying animals and religion. Um, but certainly when I did my undergrad, and when he started writing about it, it was incredibly marginalised and absolutely nobody was saying so it's quite popular to talk about religion and the environment now, even the Pope has written six corners, but back in the day, absolutely nobody had anything to say on the subject. And so he's kind of pioneered the discipline. So I was raised, he was chaplain to Essex University when I was a child, so I was surrounded by huge um, uh, students and religion, and um, I just assumed that uh, all Christians were vegetarians. Truly, I thought that that was just, you know, being a being a Christian was really about caring about the marginalised and the oppressed, and that that was the central message. I still believe that uh, is the central message of the Gospels. And um, yes, it was genuine shock when I went to Andrews and met conservative Christians. So I was like, oh, interesting. You are not Christian the same way as me. <laughs> I think it was surprising. I mean, obviously they are, but like the ethical component of parents who live their lives in relation to religion is quite fascinating. So um, that was surprising. But yeah, I kind of missed the moral awakening in that sense. I was raised a vegetarian, was never eaten meat, never eaten fish, went through school with that experience, um, which was odd. And um, then when I started this job eight years ago, I went to Girls Advice and Protection, which is proofreader, brought in print. And I realized that if I was going to be taking this job, I needed to do more. And I needed to give something up because 
because my vegetarianism had come absolutely no cost mm. to me. It was just a tenant of how I see the world. Mm-hmm. And so um, I became vegan, haven't looked back, and the vegan products have grown exponentially. Mm. <laughs> and so this is obviously the right thing. Um, but yeah, so I, I think a lot about moral awakening and how that happens or doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, a lot of people tell me um, they, they seem to help spiritually and it changed how they feel things. Yeah. So I think documentary is incredibly powerful in that regard yeah definitely no I, I love that story it, it's great to to and I hope like as we like like I guess move on there's a lot more new people in this like generation who are actually growing up with either completely being vegan or like vegetarian or so it's actually yeah it's really nice to like I guess see that like to that you've had that experience from like the start out um, and really were just like raised raised in that manner so I think yeah, I I think that's really um, great, and I think it's also like also goes to show like you've like I think especially like sometimes like maybe I think it's also evolving like even just in the five years that I've been vegan like there's like the market has like changed so much, but also perception of like being is like how normal not normal it's seen has changed. So um, I guess it used to be a lot more like well how is that even possible or like you you can't survive really. Um, but clearly yeah. you've survived very well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a great concern about whether uh, me and my, I'm one of four children, um, uh, where me and my siblings would die. Um, but there's not a childhood illness amongst us. We're all incredibly healthy. We are all still, um, only one of us is still a vegetarian, the rest of us are all vegans. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we truly, I have to say, I think we're, it helps. I mean, nutritionally, back in the day, if you were if you were vegetarian in the 80s and 90s, that wasn't. I mean, mm-hmm. my mum has actually made her own tofu. You know, it was a lot of nuts and lentils. It was a very whole food diet as well. And I think that's actually incredibly nutritionally speaking, mm-hmm. an incredible gift to give to a child. You know, because it means that they're raised without all the oh god hormones and all the other stuff that goes in meat. And mm-hmm. you know, so it means they're immune system when they're really young. Much much healthier, and it and it actually there's been a lot of studies to show that if your immune system is built up well when you're a child, mm-hmm. then when you're an adult, you are much healthier. So uh, yeah, hopefully there are lots of little new veggies and vegans getting yeah. a great immune system. Yeah, I mean it's also really great because I think there's still a misperception sometimes around like that it's not healthy for children to like eat um, vegetarian like vegan like I think vegetarians become a little bit more accepted. Um, so yeah, <laughs> this is really great to think that you survived the <laughs> survived yeah, and thriving. So um, yeah, yeah, but I mean the perception yeah. is real. Yeah. you know, yeah. I mean the responses you get from meat eaters is an interesting one, right? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I like vegetables too. Or, you know, uh, you know that suddenly everyone's an expert on protein and yeah. B12. Where you're getting these things, and you know, might for it's not like cool, <laughs> you know. Um, it, I think there is still some resistance, but mm-hmm. I think yeah, social I media has helped a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, all the amazing people on social media cooking, mm-hmm. you know, amazing things, being like, "Hey, I made this delicious thing." I mean, that it just shows you how easy it is, right? Yeah. I mean, some of the things I think you can almost not, like, see anymore that they're, like, vegan because just, yeah, like, there's, like, there's really a lot of alternatives now. So 
I think that is a great development to also see that there really is a, a movement of people towards this. But I think there's still, I guess, a lot of understanding also to to break down in terms of like why do this, like, um, and like yeah. how like how is it healthy or how do you also like get people into thinking about it because it is a big mind shift and sometimes I guess like that can be quite challenging because it challenges how you view the world and other animals and like I mean yeah so I think for me it definitely um, did and I know quite a few other people who sort of yeah went vegan just as like I guess uh, at the end of high school or just when they got into university and I think that's a time where you probably challenge and think about a lot of new things and so yeah, um, I wanted to dive a little bit and ask, uh, go into the topic of, because you mentioned obviously um, faith being an important aspect of this. So maybe you can explain a bit more how um, you see, yeah, like a little bit more about like animal theology and how you see religion tying into this topic of animal ethics. Um, okay, uh, great question. Well, I guess I was raised with the course that um, God creates the whole world mm -hmm. and God loves all the beings God created and that God doesn't just love humans mm -hmm. um, and that animals are not just things or tools but that they are beings with their own feelings, wants, desires, rights um, and uh, to be loved and sustained by God mm -hmm. um, and that they aren't ours to do with as we want. And so that's just a basic tenet of mm -hmm. how I grew up seeing the world. Um, but there's actually a lot of very valid um, theological evidence for that, actually not just in Christianity. So um, we published a book a few years back called uh, The Ratwish Handbook of Religion and Ethics, and in it you'll see that basically all religious traditions have um, traditions of being kind to other species, mm. of um, respecting them in different ways, and it looks different in each religion, but the idea that religion universally oppresses animals isn't correct. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is that there are dominant traditions which have tended to save human beings, mm -hmm. which um, have gained a lot of power over time, but even within Christianity, which has a very strong humanocentric focus, there are voices within there all the way back to the beginning, um, which um, indicate that a different relationship with creation is possible. In fact, if you look at Genesis, um, God, uh, everybody talks about how humans are made in the image of God and how we have dominion and how that makes humans special. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what justifies how humans um, treat the animal kingdom. But if you actually look in the text, at the same time that we're giving dominion, we're giving a plant-based diet mm. at exactly the same moment. And so you can't really say, I mean, what is dominion except mm. service and care for the rest of creation mm. um, when you're not even allowed to eat other animals? I mean... I mean, you're just thinking through that logically. Um, it's about understanding our role in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is uplifting to me to see mm -hmm. that um, we are making strides, not as many strides as I'd like, but we're getting a bit closer. So I study um, Catholicism, um, even though I'm not Catholic. Um, but it has been my academic focus for a while. And uh, Pope Francis is... You know, his, his encyclical, as we could say, mm -hmm. care for our common home, it's all about 
um, how basically we've mistreated, we've mistreated the earth mm. and how we have no right to do so. And that's the whole message of the whole encyclical. Mm-hmm. He doesn't go as far as I'd like on animals, mm-hmm. but he does talk about animals as having the right to exist, about being members of our family, mm-hmm. about having us having no right to cause them extinction. I mean, he could have gone a lot further, but mm-hmm. for Catholicism, it's pretty big. Um, so, and that's getting a lot mm-hmm. of um, attention in Catholic circles and lots of things being written about it. And, and that's, um, yeah, I mean, it's encouraging mm-hmm. to see that shift away from humans towards being part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, some religious traditions, Jainism, for example, are, they're already well ahead in that regard so um yeah i mean i think it's i i think there isn't really any choice with climate change at the moment Mm. we have to address the fact that humans we are in this problem of climate change because humans have chosen to use the world as if only humans matters and as if its resources are unlimited neither of which is true Mm. and if we don't actually change how we live in the world um, the world will continue, but we will not continue on the planet. Yeah, no, I, that that's re- that. This some really inspiring things that you just mentioned. That I, like I could go off a thousand of them, but I think the um, the caring for creation. Like I listened to the book podcast version about uh, yeah Pope Francis and speaking about um, that, and I think that's I did it recently finished it, and I think that's a really good. Like anyone wanting to explore more specifically, I guess, around like Christian faith and like um, environmentalism and how that actually like is so like intricately interlinked in the ways that have not necessarily been explored that massively. Um, I think maybe that is something that used to, I guess, almost like, yeah, if you make me feel uncomfortable as well, because I felt like, oh, I have this passion for nature and environment and it's not something that's talked about a lot. And I think it's it's good to see some conversations at least really bubbling up to the surface and it becoming a lot more of a um, topic that is discussed widely. Um, so yeah, I think that that's really great to see. Um, and hopefully we, we can get more of that. And I, th- I think also on that, like, I think that's a good resource to link um, your um, um, Oxford, the Oxford Centre um, and page, web page because I looked to, I saw like one of your summer schools was also on like um, religion um, and like different religious perspective on, um, yeah, on animal ethics and I think there was like a video that I watched that was quite um, interesting just to see so I'm sure you have a whole lot of resources for anyone who's interested in any topic area relating to this to, to go further into that. Um, Something I also wanted to bring up is that um, through a lot of this becoming more into popular discussion, we may, you mentioned social media and I think, and that is true, like there's a lot of resources on social media. I think that also helps a lot if you're starting out. Like I think when I started becoming vegan, I barely knew anyone else who was vegan. So it was quite helpful actually to find online community. Um, but also on the on the flip side of that, I guess sometimes like, that um, the things that are on social media are also a lot about like, yeah, are, are unnuanced in some way because it's people speaking about their own personal experiences 
and then also puts out a certain image around like what veganism is or yeah for example so i think through that some of it is largely like veganism has a lot but come to understood as like a diet rather than like just an all like yeah i think it is so much more than that but maybe you can give us an explanation of like how you see it as more than necessary just about what you eat
if they don't feel like you're judging them. Mm. I know that was not exactly what you were asking me, but mm. <laughs> I think it was in there somewhere. Yeah, no, I think I think that's great. Um, because yeah, I think that that's a good message because I think you realize when you first become vegan, you become, I guess, quite passionate about it as well because you're like, oh gosh, I'm doing this differently and you want everyone, you can't understand sometimes why like not everyone else has this like same awakening. Exactly. And then you very, I think it's natural in some ways that you want other people to understand why this is and like want to feel the same way. So yeah, I think there's a lot of like valid feelings behind that. But at the same time, like you do realize like, like the forceful way, I don't know of any ways, like I just don't know of very successful examples of that working. So I, yeah, I think that the, the, the plan of trying like cook people something nice and, and become like really good at that. And sometimes don't even tell people because I think, because there's sometimes I guess that misconception around like, oh, it doesn't taste good because someone, someone once had something that was vegan that they didn't like. Um, they can be that thing of yeah. like hesitancy of even trying something that is necessarily outright, especially if it's like, I guess, sweet things of like cake or something that people have like an understanding around like, oh, I don't know if that could be done in a nice way yeah. or something. Exactly. Sometimes you don't even say it. And then, and then you're like, and then if they ask like, oh, what is this? And like, how is it made? Then you can like explain. You're like, oh, you know what? It's actually vegan. <laughs> and um, sometimes like, I think that's like a, that's a really nice trick to do it um, in, a, in a gentle way. And I guess also a lot by like living, living by example, even though it doesn't feel like you don't feel as much as you, that you are like actively promoting it, but you are. So, <laughs> um, well, you know, like I think it, there is something to be said for being like a non-judgy vegan mm-hmm. because then people feel comfortable around you and the more yeah. people around you, the more they get to say what you have to say. Um, so eventually you bring them to you. exactly and also i guess trying to like not be too judgmental in general like where in people's journey everyone is yeah um because that's perfection yeah and we talk about this a lot Mm -hmm. in my job you know there is a sense some some vegans Mm -hmm. have a sense of perfectionism um that basically you're like somehow pure you're free from all animal products. You're you, you are like a morally pure individual. But the truth is, if you're still mm-hmm. paying taxes, if you're drinking water, if you're eating anything, all of these things are tested on animals. Mm-hmm. You know, your taxes subsidise um, farming mm-hmm. um, and all of things you're not pro, right? Mm-hmm. So unless you're going to live in completely sufficiently off the grid entirely, mm-hmm. which is incredibly difficult to do, then there is no pure land, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's even, you know, most, mm-hmm. most pottery isn't vegan. Most, you know, that it's very hard um, to escape animal products and animal byproducts in a world um, in which the institutionalization of animal abuse mm-hmm. is just systemic. And so all you can try to do is make as many conscious choices, be as educated as you mm. can about it, and when you learn something new, just tell people, just that hopefully, in a way, it doesn't work. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'd be really interested to hear as well, because obviously you went from vegetarian to vegan, which obviously is not as big as a step. It's like, I think it's actually quite nice when, like, sometimes if people like to do this transition, especially if they're completely, like, still meat-eating, to just try and 
fast go slowly um but i'm really interested to hear about like what were some of like the key i guess ethical arguments that then convinced you to make this switch um for veganism uh yeah uh, i mean so reading about the leather industry um in india which i hope isn't as bad as the time which i read the article was pretty terrible mm-hmm. um you know to get the really soft leather often those cows were actually skinned alive um which was pretty terrible to read about um also the practice of blood fiestas in Latin countries um, where, you know, animals are basically sacrificed for human entertainment. Yeah, that that was worse. Um, I know a lot of friends who have found um, cats that are older than some of the people who are um, listening to this, I don't know, who've had children have really related to the story mm-hmm. of the stories of dairy cows. Mm-hmm. You know, you just give them birth, your nursing your child and mm-hmm. they take it away and that kind and I think perhaps you know I'm not a mother mm-hmm. but I think it, you know the experience of being a mother mm-hmm. made them you know cows mourn mm-hmm. for their calves for days they wail for them mm-hmm. and uh, that kind of pain the idea of having the cows taken mm-hmm. away was um, incredibly powerful plus you know I mean there were cows of awful lives mm-hmm. um and that was, I mean, they are in <laughs> a constant state of being pregnant or having given mm-hmm. birth, mm-hmm. also that we can drink their milk, mm-hmm. um, is, I mean, that's, it's fairly horrific. But I think it's also that, like, um, uh, I mean, for me, the, actually the transition between vegetarian and vegan was hard than I thought it was, because turns out I'm a vegetarian, I'm a chief and everything. And so learning to actually flavor things, <laughs> For the first time in my life, I always thought it was good cake, but I really wasn't. So now I know much more about spices and like balance and those kind of things. So just plus your palate changes a lot. Mm. So that's one of the big things that people don't often recognise in the transition mm-hmm. is that actually meat, dairy, these incredibly rich foods, and mm-hmm. when you move away from them, you kind of don't eat much rich food, and then they don't really agree with you in the same way. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a complex like yeah. transition as well but I mean I think I think the thing that really pushed me over the edge really was I mean as animal agriculture I mean it, it amounts to the single largest contributor to climate change mm-hmm. so like if you care about the environment um, you should be going vegan um, it's uh, eating meat and dairy are the single single greatest things you can do Mm -hmm. like not eating them to increase your health if you don't want to have diabetes cancer heart disease obesity you know it's the best thing you can do for your long-term health if you care about the ocean Mm -hmm. not eating fish is i mean the ocean is going to die soon Mm because of the way we treat them so and you know people often say that one person doesn't make a difference but i don't mm. actually really believe that because it makes a hundred percent difference to that cow you don't eat mm. so you know, and collectively we are shifting the course of it's like huge multinational mm-hmm. corporations are massively invested um Dano, for example unilever um these corporations are massively invested in 
animal agriculture, but you have seen both of them make huge amounts of money from um, Alpro or a whole range of other vegan projects in the last year. And although some vegans say, hey, you shouldn't buy from companies who also sell meat products, I would strongly disagree with that because you are shifting mm-hmm. the financial viability of a huge multinational corporation. And if they think that it's um, financially viable to be vegan, they will introduce more and more vegan products. Mm-hmm. And then more and more people will have access to them. So that's, again, where the pure land can come in. But, yeah, um, I suppose the single thing that really pushed me over the edge, sorry, I had a tendency to go on a windy trajectory and answer a question. Um, the thing that really pushed me over the edge was seeing the scale, mm-hmm. the huge scale. Of, I mean, I always knew that um, animals, animals had a terrible deal. Um, but to see how in every country they're getting something wrong and something's right, but nobody is getting it all right. And the scale of what's happening to animals globally mm-hmm. was just so overwhelmingly depressing mm-hmm. and upsetting that I needed to do more. Mm-hmm. It wasn't one thing. I, it was everything mm-hmm. that yeah, no, I think the the more you, you first, when you first put a little toe, I guess maybe that's what sometimes seems a bit scary into diving into this topic area, if you're new to it, is that you, I've heard a few people who are almost scared to watch some documentaries because they know that, like, that is going to morally challenge them. And if you first dive your toe into it, you realise, okay, this might mean I have to change something about how I live in order to, like, yeah, to comply with my moral standards. I mean, Vegetarianism, veganism, veganism, these, these are profound moral choices that affect mm-hmm. your daily life, right? Mm-hmm. I, for example, am against, against um, child trafficking, but it doesn't really affect the choices I make on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I'm also against torture, doesn't affect my daily basis choices. Vegetarianism, veganism involves a choice three times a day, every day, mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. And that is that is a huge thing to be confronted with. I'll be honest and say that I don't actually watch the documentary. I really, I know I should. Um, everybody says I should, and I should. But A, it feels like work. That's what I really do. B, they're not really telling me anything I don't super already know. And C, I find the images, and perhaps this mm-hmm. is the most important point, you know, the images that come with some of these documentaries, mm-hmm. um, I know that they can have a profound effect on how people mm-hmm. change and see the world, but they are, I find them profoundly and deeply upsetting. Mm-hmm. And if I am to continue doing what I do for animals, I need to not be, uh, that they can kind of make you, uh, it can fortify everything you do and then you can't move to the sadness of mm-hmm the human race and what it's doing to everybody else. So, um, yeah, I, can, I understand why mm-hmm. people don't want to do that. All those people on social media who put lots of um, yeah. violent images up, unfollow, 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 unfollow. <laughs> I can't, I can't cope with that. Yeah. No, I, mean, I understand the reluctance. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it's difficult because I, I get what's trying to be done with that because I think to big on... To big scale, we don't. A lot of people don't understand the scale of what's happening to animals, 
Um, and I don't think, yeah, I think just when I was younger, I didn't either because you have that perception that is sold to you as a child around like happy cows living on some fields and um, yeah, getting milk. And I think it just seems like it seems so natural. You don't question like, well, yeah, of course the cow is like there to give us milk. But then you don't question like, oh, well, why from a cow? Like we don't take milk from like dogs or drink. Like there's like, there's a lot, I think that then I guess I started realizing okay, that isn't as obvious and that isn't talked about as much. And I think you mentioned earlier that um, the story around um, how milk is produced and sort of that um, cows are taken away from their mother. And I think that's something important to understand. It was even even if you get milk from a super like local area of like where, yeah, animals are treated fairly well, I guess. And I think there's a lot of, um, yeah, <laughs> living in Bavarian Alps, there are a lot of, farmers around and there's a big understand like perception around okay well but i'm getting my milk and my animal products locally from these animals that are living in really fairly good conditions um but like even still like i go past um animal farms and i still see these little calves put into like these tiny tiny spaces like away from their mother and i can like i can hear like this sound of like a mother moaning somewhere in the distance and it's just heartbreaking and that's in an era where i know the animals are treated fairly well and that is a really good like natural eco label farm or whatever but it still happens yeah. so yeah i mean i think that is i'm not i think that is a way to live in mm -hmm. symbiotic commun communion with animals where maybe you'll actually really care for them mm -hmm. and um you know and that's fine. So, for example, mm -hmm. there is a um, there is a company in London called Ahimsa, mm -hmm. Ahimsa Milk, and they have cows um, who are never separated from their calves, mm -hmm. and uh, from which they make cheese and the animals live out their natural lives. Um, and I'm not sure that there's mm -hmm. anything that morally mm -hmm. wrong with that, mm -hmm. you know. Or, for example, I know plenty of vegans because there's a lot who have rescued um, battery mm -hmm. um, hens yeah. and then keep them in their garden and they still lay some eggs and they eat them. And I'm, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, they just feed the hens. I'm not sure there's anything yeah. that morally terrible about either of those no. scenarios. The problem is, is that they are the exception, mm -hmm. not yeah. the rule. Yeah, no, I think that that is good yeah. to point out because, like yeah i think that if we look at human history like animal abuse has not always been as horrific as it's been now in terms of just because of the scale of the problem which i think is sometimes also often that what convinces me because it's not about like that exception of the rule of like oh i guess i can have something non-vegan like a lot of things are, like and i'm sure like that's fine like i don't like judge any of that if there's someone who says okay well i'm doing an exception i want to try this new thing I'm on like holiday somewhere or something but I think what really brings me back to that to my like to veganism is always that understanding that it really is like part of this this bigger problem um, and then through culturally saying that you were vegan and presenting that I guess or also buying that way and consuming that way very consistently you are I guess sending out that market signal and that signal to the world that um, this is the future. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean it's a process, isn't it? I mean yeah. it's a powerful process, 
um, because it happens every time you eat something. Yeah, that's a lot, quite a lot. So, <laughs> and uh, you know, I mean, I think the reality is that, like historically speaking, mm-hmm. I mean, I think animals have had a pretty awful mm-hmm. day or throughout history. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say that it's always been better, but mm-hmm. the scale now mm-hmm. um, of industrial animal mm-hmm. agriculture kills literally billions of land animals a year and we don't even measure the number of fish individually it's just been billions of tons mm-hmm. um which is just insane if you think about it um and i think you know the problem is we are caught up in systems of animal abuse that we're raised in um mm-hmm. and that are institutionalized that we don't even think about it i mean that's what you also get with animal experiments right it is not that there are not alternatives to animal experiments, they might cost mm-hmm. more. But it is that animal experimentation has been seen as the gold standard, mm-hmm. and that plenty of institutions support it, for example, governments or uh, uh, journals, funding bodies, they say, sure, you can have my do the experiment, but you've got to test on animals as well. I want to see it in both animals and non-animal mm-hmm. methods of testing. So even if you want to do non-animal methods of testing, you still have to do both, right? Because it's institutionalized that that is that that's just the way it is. And that's mm-hmm. what really needs changing in all aspects of our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this actually brings very nicely to, to the next question that I wanted to ask around animal experiment experimentation because it is often seen for like medicine or safe use of products for humans there's this understanding that is something essential and that needs to happen. Um, so maybe you could just explain a little bit more about what you think about this and what actually, yeah, what's the ethical dilemma behind animal testing and like, are there like actual alternatives? Because I think sometimes there's an understanding like this is how it has to be done to be safe for humans. Right, well, yeah, I mean, the first problem is to say that um, the other side has won the marketing campaign. You know, um, so the marketing for Cancer Research UK, for example, has made the direct causal link in people's minds between testing on animals and saving their mum's life from cancer. Mm-hmm. Now, I can say this because my mum had cancer, mm-hmm. um, but and that is an incredibly emotive and powerful argument, and that's hard to walk away from because people want to save their family member who is sick and they think it's a necessary evil. There are no other choices. Um, but and and that is just fantastic marketing on their part. Right. I mean that they've really just cornered the market. That's just uh, most people don't accept any you know, they might say, Hey, I don't need my cosmetics experimented on but for cancer or for Parkinson's or, you know, for other diseases that affect humans, it's, it's, it's not nice, but we have to do it. Well, the reality is that animals are not good models. They they share some of our DNA, but um, most of our DNA, they don't share, with the exception of chimpanzees um, and uh, primates. But still, the majority of animals that are tested on are white mice, dogs cats as well and rabbits and um, most of these animals don't share enough of our DNA but actually to make the tests we do on animals work in humans so for example we can cure cancer in rats we can cure cancer in rats we can't cure it in humans because humans are not the same 
And so there are plenty of drugs that go through animal testing and then all have to go through human testing and all fail to get to the market. So we're wasting huge amounts of resources when actually we need to test on human beings. So no, if it works on human beings, human beings are fundamentally different. I mean, this isn't just humans. For example, most um, testing for drugs is done on men because humans, female humans, their hormones are considered too complicated to deal with to know whether how that would affect the science, so we just ignore them and test on the men. So we're already not testing on half the humans who might be, like, who might need to take drugs, for um, But, yeah, there's a great book on this called Invisible Women. Um, people um, that's just a feminist aside. Um, but, the, I mean, the reality is that human testing is what's required in all drugs. All mm-hmm. drugs that make it to the market have to be tested on humans, and that's just what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you go through, you have to go through animal testing to get human testing. But animal testing frequently doesn't tell you things. We've discarded hundreds and thousands of drugs that could have potentially worked in humans because they didn't work in animals. Now, animal testing is painful um, to animals. They die afterwards. Um, very few animals are rehomed after testing. I mean, after living your life in the cage, you know, they're just uh, euthanized. Um, but beyond that, there are now all kinds of tests. So there's cell line assay, but where you test on cells to see how it reacts. Um, there is um, stem cell testing, which is not embryonic stem cells, it's different kinds of stem cells that humans, adult humans give naturally. You can test on those. They're also doing... Um, 3D imaging, you can like 3D print now parts of the brain, parts of the body, and test how it works on them. And they also have organs on a chip. This is just a range of the different technology that is available. Mm-hmm. Um, we continue to use animals because animals are cheap and we consider their lives expendable. Mm. Yeah, no, that's really, really interesting to to find out more about because I think it's something we also don't talk about because like you said I think it's very sufficiently sold as the idea of like well that's the only way it works like it needs to be tested on animals like how else would we know it's safe for humans to use (laughs) but it's it's an emotional issue but you can see actually with Mm -hmm. the COVID vaccine which happened in the last year most of those have skipped animal trials Mm -hmm. Um, why? Because we've needed it quicker. So mm-hmm. we've just gone straight to human testing, rather so humans were brave enough to do that. Um, I admit, you do need brave humans mm-hmm. to consciously volunteer to do it. You shouldn't be testing on prisoners or like any mm-hmm. other big people who can't um, can actually consent mm-hmm. to it. But, you know, I think at least some of the COVID testing has demonstrated that we don't need to test on animals. You can get straight to and get more quickly to the answer for humans by testing on humans. Okay, cool. Interesting. I did not know that either. So, um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, just going off some of that, also to, to conclude some of our points from today, what do you think, how can we best challenge the system? Yeah, both in terms, I guess, of animal testing, but also like, yeah, products like diet, but and then and then maybe to tie on to that, like what would you recommend if people want to find out more? Because like we spoke about earlier, sometimes documentaries can be super powerful, but they can also be quite daunting to watch and kind of 
like off-putting to start off with so what would you recommend um, if someone is genuinely interested to learn more about it but just doesn't really know where to start I always tell people make one conscious choice for animals a day. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you're going to do meatless Mondays. Um, maybe you're going to go to January. Maybe when you consider that next pair of shoes, you're buying from Wolves, vegan shoes who are carbon neutral and all good stuff. I, I don't um, work for them. I just like their shoes. Um, <laughs> you know, but there are ethical alternatives. Do the research. Mm-hmm. Act as a consumer. And when the consumers demand things, they produce more things, you know. Um, I was unbelievably excited today. Um, liquid vegan egg came from the Vegan Kind supermarket today, which I am pumped about. I had just egg in America, but this is called Cracked. Apparently, you can also get it in Marks and Spencer. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, when, when consumers ask for things, companies rise to the challenge. So you aren't happy about the plastic packaging, you want you don't want that little bit of leather on your back on your backpack. You know, look for the ethical alternatives because I promise you they are out there. And if not, make some representations mm-hmm. um, and see what you can do because it, because more often than not, people will respond to what you're asking for. Yeah. Um, so yeah, make one choice and make that conscious choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just generally true of all life. You know, mm-hmm. be conscious of where you get your clothing, where you buy things from what your packaging comes in just be as conscious as mm-hmm. possible um and you don't have to go straight to veganism mm-hmm. because i promise you you know flexitarianism is making a huge difference so she could just begin by mm-hmm. exploring learn a load of vegan recipes mm-hmm. you know try something new um yeah documentaries you know if you're brave enough to watch mm-hmm. them go for it okay i um I read a lot about it and I have very visual imagination, so I don't go to that myself. But reading, um, I will honestly, Why I'm Suffering Matters, just the first chapter of it by Andrew Lindsay, uh, I think it makes a profound case for caring about animals. And I would highly recommend that to anyone. And it's written in the language in which anybody can you know, mm-hmm. read and enjoy it. Um, enjoy maybe the wrong words, but be challenged by. Yeah. <laughs> and in terms of making your way forward, at least some of you will be young, prospective academics in the making. I'm going to go ahead and say that I think the very best thing that um, you can do if you're interested in animals is topic, um, but it also say interested in history or interested in English, um, is don't do a degree in animal studies. Find a way to talk about animals within your own discipline. You know, you're doing um, uh, some history, why not do an animal biography? Why not learn about um, particular famous celebrity animals of the time? There are all kinds of them. There's one called Obayash by John Simmons. He does this with a hippopotamus who lived in London Zoo. Um, or, you know, you're interested in law, become an animal lawyer. Um, there are fantastic resources all around, and if anybody actually has any questions about this, um, you can uh, find me at stanwethics.com, and I can put you in touch with the appropriate person, but I believe that knowledge changes the world, mm-hmm. so write a book about what you care about, and mm-hmm. spread the message in a way in which people can hear you, um, in whatever way that comes to you, if you're a, you know, if you're, if you're a budding novelist, write a novel make the protagonist a vegan or you know write it through the eyes of an animal or you know just 
find a way to reach people in a way that you're also passionate, mm. um, that you're personally passionate about, just take animals with you. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a wonderful message, I think, to, to sort of, um, yeah, to, to conclude this, because I think that is so important to to find ways, I really like what you say, also to bring it to your own discipline area. And I think that goes the same with like sustainability and environmentalism. Like sometimes it really is, like I think the biggest changes that can be made is bringing this into different parts of the curriculum. And I think I love seeing that especially here in St Andrews that is a lot more moved to try and see like how can you bring sustainability in the curriculum like very broadly not just in like those areas that are about like environmentalism or sustainability in, yeah the same well, exactly and academia is all about the higher more it's mm-hmm. about original thought and you know what it's an untapped area of original thought most of um Yeah, I think that's that's a really great message to send everyone off and just um, say, yeah, inspire. Thank you so much for that inspiring conversation. I think I certainly learned quite a few new things that I hadn't known about. And there's so much, I guess, we could dive into more a lot on these topic on, on these topics. That is just because there is like, there's so much new things. And I think it's also great to see that this is also really like innovative like way because like you like you said, there is a way through veganism and animal ethic that sparks innovation for humans to do things differently, to think about things differently. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's exciting to really see some of that happening, but hopefully, um, yeah, through through speaking about it, but not necessarily just speaking about like through actions and writing about it or whatever people are comfortable really. Um, I think there really is a lot of difference that can be made even just by like an individual person because you influence the lives of those around you. So I think, Absolutely. yeah, in, in a very yeah. indirect way that you might not even notice, but you absolutely yeah, do. Yeah, we never so. know our full impact. Yeah. You know, we, so. never, we never understand the full number of people we impact who, you know, know our work, know our thoughts, who we've influenced someone, they've influenced someone, they've influenced someone. So, yeah. You know, just try and do it in the, the most positive way possible yeah. so that people might make the change for themselves too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that that concludes our discussion today. Thank you very much, uh, Claire, you. for for joining and for sharing all of yeah your knowledge and thoughts. Um, it was really yeah, it was a really great conversation. And thank you for our listeners for listening to us <laughs> speak and thinking about those ideas. And hopefully that will spark some interest to look further into the topic because it really there's so much more to go into that and to explore. So yeah, have a wonderful rest of your day, everyone. Thank you for tuning into Ecoactivist Journeys. I really hope you enjoyed today's discussion. And if you did, please follow the Ecoactivist Journeys podcast. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're doing well and that this episode has been inspiring for you. Thank you for joining the journey. Take care. Love, Leah.